Good day once again and welcome back. Today is Sunday the 29th of December 1946. Bet's China adventure has not got much longer to go. Today she fills us in with tales of the Christmas festivities in Nanchang. We learn that her roommate Marge Block has been very unwell and there's some big news that hits in the middle of the letter. So why don't we go directly now to Bet in Nanchang. Mrs. Betty Souter, care of UNRWA, Shanghai office, 29th of December 1946. Mother darling, from now on, I fear that my letter writing might be most erratic. Please forgive if you don't hear from me very much now. I am going to be as busy as a beetle in the business of getting myself home. I'm so excited that I don't know which way to turn. It must be quite some days now since I wrote to anyone. Marge has been very ill and until Boxing Day, after she had had two very bad days and nights, I could not get the medical people here to understand just how sick she was. American medicos and nurses, or such of them as we have out here, are not, by my way of thinking, worthy of the name. Eventually... When one of the nurses found me washing Marge and saw how thin and helpless she was, the wheels started to go around. And I must say that they've been right up to the mark these last three days. I still think that I won my cap and that I had the worst days on my own. We have not got the results of the final test yet, but are afraid of amoebic dysentery. It was a great pity that it should all have happened over Christmas. Though, I suppose, if I had not been so frantically busy all the time, I would have been more homesick than I actually was. I know exactly what you were thinking at this stage. No, I am not tired out. And I have taken care of myself. And yes, I am still feeling extra well. I will admit that I was completely exhausted about three days ago, but... As soon as the nurses took full charge of Marge, I moved right out of our room and have had a little bedroom of my own where I have slept and slept during these holidays until I'm feeling quite fresh and full of beans again. Only this afternoon I moved back in here again, since Pitch will not be on full night duty tonight, though she's close by for me to call if necessary. Charlotte will still take care of Marge during daytime and I have no nursing responsibilities at all. And now, my plans. We've cabled for information about shipping, but the replies are not too satisfactory. Apparently, we will have to go to Ku Chang and just take the first ship that comes along. Kay is going to be driving us to Kuchang and will actually get us on board with our luggage. I had not been happy at the thought of getting the luggage, as well as myself, up and over the side if the ship remains midstream. But Kay is an absolutely super person, can do and manage anything, 
and I am very, very happy about his offer to take me along. At the other end, Hank will be waiting to get me ashore and to the billet. So all will be well. I'm travelling down with another girl who is returning for a new assignment. She is the one who has been here in Nanchang all of the time since last March. I do not admire her very much and she's extremely hard to get along with. A very trying American, Marjorie Stauffer. But it will only be for a short while and it's better for both of us to travel together than for each to have to go alone. David Wu cannot get accommodation in Shanghai at present, so cannot go down for the job as he had planned. We will leave here sometime within this week, probably Wednesday. The ship may be a China merchant or an LST or an LSM. We will see what comes and take the first that offers reasonable accommodation. Today, I've been very busy with my packing. I had packed one suitcase last weekend in readiness for a sudden notice to leave. And I am glad that I had done so. Last night, I had managed to purchase, at long last, a carved camphor wood chest. Yes, they are very, very scarce. And so I will be able to discard the much-battered air suitcase and the broken other one that was ratted. In the course of the pilfering, the brutes had broken the hinges and lock. That means that I will only have about six pieces of luggage to worry about, including my two small pieces of hand luggage. I'm expecting to add to that, however, when I reach Shanghai, because I still want one or two or more camphor boxes. I seem to have so much to write about. We have not had any snow yet, but yesterday there was a thick white frost that lasted well into the morning. The otherwise dirty roads and paddocks look so pretty with the rough white surface. I still wish we had had the white Christmas that we expected. Nevertheless, I'm pretty certain to come across some snow before I leave China. Our party for the children went off wonderfully well. My job of finding and buying the presents for them and for the tree and for all the UNRWA staff proved no small task. Kay was a great help as he put himself and the weapons carrier at my disposal and drove me all around town. He also helped with the buying and seemed to enjoy it as much as I did. The tailor did his job well, making the 20 flannel undershirts for the kiddies for a total cost of about two pounds. He had helped me choose the cloth too and was able to tell me just the right quantity to get the style to make. We would not call the local cloth a good cloth, but it is not too bad and we were able to get it in three different colours, stripes, with each undershirt there were just 20 children of whom we had names and ages. We put hair bows, clips, mirrors, toy guns, bonnets, caps, mittens, rubber balls or rattle, according to the age of the child, etc. We also had separate little bundles of sweets, tangerines, biscuits and nuts for each kid. 
The main parcel was wrapped in coloured paper and tied with wool. Santa was in attendance, and I really felt for him as I covered his face and his moustache with glue to enable the cotton wool beard to stick. According to Chinese tradition, a white-faced person is very wicked, and the redder his face, the better person he is. Therefore, our Santi, Cyril, the Indian, was given a lovely rosy red face. We had had a proper red costume made for him, and he was padded to about three times his normal size. He played his part perfectly. I'm sure that he must have done it many times before. Before Santy put in his appearance, with sack of goodies over shoulder, we had herded the kiddies into the lounge where the tree was all set up in one corner, with red lights shining from the back. The tree itself was a picture, proper Christmas pine, with coloured cellophane balls, lots of thinly cut cellophane, white shavings dripping all down it, and the parcels in red, green, yellow and purple here and there, and masses of extra toys such as little wooden dragons, rattles, paper flowers, etc., all over it. A big silver star sat right at the top of the tree. The kids were fascinated, which is not surprising because I was too. Just as well we had the extra toys too, because various kiddies from around about did a gate crash, and there must have been about 35 altogether. We had plenty for them, though. The kids sat around on the floor and sang songs, some of the tunes being recognisable, but not many. One little boy automatically took the job of leading the singing and made a good job of it too. He stood in the centre of the circle, with new cap on, and had no self-consciousness at all as he started off each song. All the kids stood up to sing their national anthem, and we joined them, of course. Unfortunately, there are many here who cannot lower their dignity enough to be at home with the kids. But there were sufficient of us to hop in and give them a good time. After Santy had given out the good things... There was the usual hasty unwrapping of parcels and a great deal of chatter. And then we suggested a ride around the town in the big trucks. Boy, you just should have seen the reaction. Horace and Kate each got out a weapons carrier and bundled in the kids and some of their just as excited parents. I sat there clutching at two little giggling girls with three small kitties on my lap out in the back of the open truck, bounding along the terrible roads. We took them along the better roads, around in a circle with shrieks of delight and looks of alternating pleasure and awe. They were really funny to watch. The end of the ride was the end of the party, and I'm quite sure that I will never be at a kid's party that gives greater joy to any kids than that one did. It was a lot of work, but well worth it. Now December 30th, and Marge had a very good night. She looks ever so much better this morning. I'm not going to the office anymore except to draw my pay and collect a few papers. My work in Nanchang is over. And to continue the story. But hold everything. News just to hand that we are leaving Nanchang Wednesday next, 
first day of January, 1947. Grand beginning for the new year. Just the day after tomorrow, but I'll be ready. Another effort at the story. Well, we got the kids all safely home after their ride around town, and then the grown-ups had their session with Santa. We had the Chinese office staff with us too, and Santa handed out all our presents. Of course, we had to put in a few funny and rude presents too, apart from one very nice and very useful present each. For instance, we gave the boss, who is always talking about the broad concepts of welfare and the urgent need for direct relief, a suggestive-looking spittoon marked for purpose of direct relief. (laughs) And we gave Cyril the Indian a nice piece of rope saying, now do it. And we gave Doc Sanderson, who is always demanding pancakes for breakfast, a parcel of six nice cold cakes with bottle of honey complete. We had quite an uproarious time there for a while. Having just about stripped the tree bare, we then proceeded in for our dinner. A very special menu, of course, with tin turkey, local chicken, fruit salads, asparagus, sweet corn, ice cream, cake, etc. It was quite a gay party. But my thoughts were mostly for home and partly for poor Marge. So thin and sick upstairs. Altogether, it was a most hectic day. I've quite forgotten up to this point to mention that there was no sleep for any of us on Christmas Eve. After finishing the wrapping of the parcels and putting them on the tree... I spent some time setting Marge up for the night and was just ready to tumble into bed at midnight when along came the first carolers. We must have had nearly a dozen groups of singers before the dawn broke and all had to be bought in, entertained and given packages of fruits and nuts and sweets. I, personally, took no part in that entertaining as I had my hands full with my patient, who was really bad that night. But the lounge is just under our bedroom, so we had the sounds of reverie all the time. The singing was amazingly good. Good voices and good parts. Actually, I enjoyed it. Finding that sleep was quite out of the question, I sat up near the fire with my knitting, finishing off a little sweater that Marge and I had presented to Ama on Christmas morning for her little girl. At about 6am, the last of the carolers left us and we had a brief respite before the big day started. Yes, I had lots of presents and lovely ones. Marge had given me a scroll. I had done the same for her. Kay gave me a most beautiful thin porcelain bowl. Joan Curtis, a satin scarf. I had received my ski suit from you and a twin set from Auntie Edith and about a dozen Christmas cards from local people here. John, the Brazilian, gave me four little Canbay cups, and David Wu gave me an embroidered square. Mr Hahn from the office gave me a very nice tea set. From Santa, I received a little china bowl, chosen by myself, of course. The Vita food parcel from Mr Toltz arrived most opportunely after a six-month journey on Christmas Eve. 
and a cable from Mary Bleachmore was handed to me in the middle of Santa's antics too. I did not feel by any means a lost soul, even though so far from home. Yes, there was a letter for Hank too, and a wire, and he says that he has a surprise packet waiting for me for our overdue Christmas celebration together. Have I mentioned John the Brazilian before? Yes, he's tall, dark and handsome, and most temperamental and a beaut dancer. He gave us a Brazilian lunch party yesterday, specially organised for me before I left. As sanitary engineer, he insisted on overseeing closely the whole lunch, which consisted for the most part of cold salads, things which are dangerous in China unless self-prepared. I helped him, and in the course of it all, learnt some most interesting recipes. The Chinese cook and kitchen staff thought that we were quite crazy. I can understand them thinking that of John because he floats around in a panic like one possessed when he gets excited. We had stuffed roast pork, potato salad, bean salad, three types of fruit salad, stuffed eggs, rice, all mixed up with shrimps, red peppers, ham and other odds and sods, an altogether delicious dinner. Another party that we had was the one at the Burlington on Saturday night for our Chinese friends, just to celebrate Christmas. It was a good party. We had about 60 Chinese guests as well as ourselves. There were apologies from the governor, the mayor and the Sunra director, but otherwise the big shots turned up. The party consisted only of a cocktail before dinner, a mixing around with light chatter and then the formal dinner, Western style, which was very good indeed, though punctuated by a few speeches and toasts. After dinner, the party was over, and I enjoyed a walk home in the frosty air with my Brazilian friend, who had not before had the fun and pleasure of a big dinner with the Chinese people, and whose remarks thereon were quite worthy of recording. Marge missed that one too, of course. So John and I had to do our best to reconstruct the show. Actually, I think that we're all a bit tired of parties and I imagine that there will be a welcome spell once the New Year's Eve show is over. We've all been invited to go to the Bank of China for a supper dance from 8 till 11. I don't know why they want us to leave at 11, but we really prefer it anyway. And we'll see the New Year in our own hostel. Perhaps they like to be on their own too. News has just come in that we're to keep closely to the compounds at house and office this afternoon. Two US Marines attacked some Chinese girls in Peiping a few days ago, and there are public demonstrations in all big cities, including Nanshang, against Americans generally, with the objective of having the offenders handed over to China for appropriate punishment. Sounds bad. Actually, I do not think there will be anything serious here, as this city is not given to rioting, etc. Anyway, I shall obey the rules and the request of the Chinese friends in Sunra who think that for our own good we should stay indoors. Incidentally, all white-faced people are regarded as Americans here, whether they be British, Australian or other. And another interruption. Will this letter ever get written? This time it's an invitation to attend a party tonight given in honour of Marjorie Stauffer and myself at the YMCA by some of the Sunra staff. 
I have written out my acceptance and will be on with the chopsticks at 6pm. What a world. In the course of this page, I will have you know that I have been over to the office and signed up my travel papers and collected all monies due to me. Sitting on my bed, I have no less than $1 million. I'm quite used to talking in thousands and millions and will probably create a furor once I get home if I forget to drop off the noughts. Anything here less than 5000 is hardly worth mentioning. Sorry, another break. Soup time for Marge. Therefore, I think that I had better end this epistle right here and now. Tomorrow is going to be terrific, and I know that I will not get any more done tonight in view of the dinner party. Lots of love. My excitement is evident all through this letter, I'm sure. I'm just longing to get home now. Love to all the family, of course, but especially to you and Dad. From your very loving, Boo. Production credits for this episode. Produced and narrated by Warren Henry, the voice of Betty Souter by Helen Polkinghorne, and the featured tune from 1946, the last one for this podcast series from that year, I Love You for Sentimental Reasons, performed by Ella Fitzgerald and the Delta Rhythm Boys.
Cause no one can 